into the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 37. We come to the section in the book of Genesis which deals with the, the generations of Jacob and particularly the focus will rest upon the life of Joseph. 37th chapter beginning with verse 1, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Let's read that last verse together. Verse 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you for your inspiration, your supernatural power and anointing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, back up please in the, the 35th chapter of the book of Genesis. In verse 22. Genesis 35:22 It came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah his father's concubine and Israel heard it. So uh, Reuben is the firstborn son of Jacob which means he had the birthright. But he disqualified himself in going in unto uh, his father Jacob's wife or concubine. So let's go over to First Chronicles and we'll see in the fifth chapter what the consequence of that sin was. Reuben disqualified himself from the birthright. Alright? So we see in First Chronicles 5 and 1, Now the sons of Reuben the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler but the birthright was who? Joseph's. So Reuben being the firstborn son forfeited the birthright because of his immoral behavior. And it is God who told Jacob to take that birthright and to give it to Joseph now, which Joseph would later pass on 
to His sons. Do you all understand that? Because it's very important to understand that because when we come to this chapter, we see uh, a result of that will of God taking place. So let's look at uh, chapter 37, verse 1. It says, Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And then it talks about the generations of Jacob. The focus here in this chapter, again, is Joseph. Now, remember this. Joseph is the firstborn son of Rachel, which was Jacob's favorite wife. Do you remember this story? Okay. So again, Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Alright? And so the Scripture tells us at this point in the text, as far as the timing is concerned, that Joseph is 17 years old. Okay, say with me, 17 years old. The Bible tells us that he was feeding the flock with his brethren. Now, real quick, you know a lot about the life of Joseph, and we're going to do our best to do some teaching on the life of Joseph. Um, but first of all, what do you think of when you think about Joseph? What kind of person was he? You remember reading the story of Joseph? What, what kind of person was he? Well, he was a person of very high character. Very, very high character. And the Scripture tells us that he was loved by his father more than all the rest. Okay? Now, the reason why Jacob loved uh, Joseph more than all the rest was because of his character. He had a very high character and um, he was a good son. A good son. In the sense that he loved God, he feared God. Okay? He reverenced God. So, being a young man, 17 years of age, very high character, uh, not only the favorite son, but the best of all of them. He was the best son of all the rest. You remember Jacob had 12. So not only is he the son of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, but he's a son who is very high in character. He is a good son. He is better than all the rest of them. Okay? So that's the kind of person that he was because he loved God. And the Scripture says that he was the son of Jacob's old age. If we look at that, verse 3 says, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Now, when you read that, you think that means that, okay, you know, this boy was uh, born when Jacob was an older man. And because of that, that's why Jacob loved him more than the rest. But when it says he was the son of his old age, it's a Hebrew figure of speech. And what that means is, when it says he was the son of his old age, he's saying Jacob was a wise son. Okay, so sometimes when we read the Bible, we think, well, 
we take it at face value, we think it means that because he was a son that was born when Jacob got older, that's why Jacob loved him so much. But this is again a figure of speech and it means that this son was a wise son. If you can understand it this way, his head was older than his body. Alright? He was wise beyond his years. At 17 years of age, he had the wisdom of an older man. So that's what that means. Okay? So when you talk about Joseph then, he's the best son, he's the good son, he's a very high character son, and his wisdom was beyond his years. Okay? Even at 17. So that just gives you a little bit of background about Joseph. Now when we see him, uh, verse 2 says, again, he's 17 years of age, and he's feeding the flock with his brethren. So, don't just read these real quickly. Meditate on what they're saying. What we see Joseph doing is working. Say working. His father had him busy. His father put him to work. See, work is necessary. We know that, right? Everybody know that? Work is necessary, but work also builds good character. And this is something that Jacob understood. So he put his son Joseph, you know, as the Scripture says here, feeding the flock, working. Because it's a good thing. It builds character. There are some people who take the, the approach, I don't want my kids working. Okay? I don't want them laboring. That's a very bad decision. Amen? You, when your kids get to the age where they can work and they can labor, it's important for you to put them to work. It's important for me to put mine to work because it's going to build character in that child. They may fuss and fight and say, I don't want to do it. and You know how they are. they got better things to do. Playing games and stuff, you know. And, and they're not going to like to do that. But it's important for a parent to understand the importance of putting your kids to work. Amen? So it'll build character in them so they won't grow up and be lazy. You know, a man doesn't want to marry a lazy girl and doesn't ever want to clean the house. And Are you with me? And a girl doesn't want to marry a lazy man who never wants to do anything. Correct? Well, it starts when they're little. You got to teach them. You got to tell them, you know, go to work, you know, do this. Give them something to do. Give them some work to do because it's good for them. It's good for their character. It's not going to hurt them. There's some people think they take the approach, it's going to hurt my kids to put them to work. No. When we see Joseph, a young man of very high character, a young man who's good, a young man who's wise beyond his years, we see, the first thing we see him doing is that his daddy has him in the field feeding the sheep. He's working. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Now I thank God for my children. There's one thing they do know and they know how to work. Hallelujah. My daughter knows how to work. She works hard. My son, I, you know, I put him to work. He knows how to do weed eating. He knows how to do edging of the yard. He knows how to mow the grass. He knows things like that. Now you laugh, but you, you'd be surprised how many older men don't even know how to start a lawnmower. 
You know? What's important that we teach our kids these basic things in life. Teach them how to work. Praise the Lord. And so the Bible tells us that this is what Jacob has done with his son uh, Joseph. He's out there in the field. He's working. He's feeding the flock. And next thing it says, with his brethren. Okay. Now that's not just a statement that, you know, he just happened to be around his brother when he was working. Okay. The Bible says he was with his brethren. Now who are the brethren that he's with? The Scripture says he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So, his brothers, you will see as we go through the story, they were evil. Just plain and simple. They were evil. Now, they were the sons of Jacob, so you would think that, you know, if Jacob produced a Joseph, that high level of character, that the rest of his children would have that kind of character. But the other sons of, ja of Jacob, as far as this history is concerned, were evil. And we'll see that as we progress through the story. It wasn't good company that Joseph was around. But the Bible says that he was out there working and he was with his brethren. You with me here? Amen. Now, it's Naphtali, it's Dan and Naphtali, and it's Asher and Gad that he's out there with. And they're not good company. In fact, they're bad company. But yet Joseph still re retained his good character even though he was hanging around bad characters. And that's saying something about the strength of Joseph. See, it's, it's one thing for a person to be strong when they're hanging around good people. But if they start hanging around the wrong crowd, how often that crowd influences them. But Joseph, even though he had some, if you will, rascals in his family, and I'm telling you, they were evil. We're going to see it in a minute. Joseph still had the ability to stay righteous. He had the ability to maintain his character even though he was surrounded by other people that were not good characters. So when you read these verses, and I know I'm boring you to tears, but I've got to tell you anyway, don't just read real fast. See what the Bible is saying. You know, I've told you before, enter into the story. Put yourself into the story. Don't just hear the facts. Don't just learn more facts, but put yourself in the story. When you're reading the story, what is it saying? Okay? It tells this man, 17 years of age, he's already working, and he's working around bad company. But as you progress through the story, you'll see he never did not, he never surrendered to that evil company. He never, never surrendered to being like them. Amen? Now, the Bible says as we continue to read, hanging around his brothers, uh, Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now remember, Joseph is watching over the sheep. He's feeding the sheep. He's responsible for those sheep. And he's hanging around with the rest of his, or some of these brothers here. And he notices that the brothers are not doing what they're supposed to do. And so Joseph takes that truth, that report of their evil behavior to daddy. 
Okay? So there's some people who say, well, Joseph was a talebearer. He was a gossiper. He shouldn't have went and told daddy on him. Well, number one, Joseph is not a gossiper. He's not a talebearer. You know why? Because when he brings the truth or brings the report of their evil behavior, he brings it to the right person. And when he, when he brings it to the right person, it's not made up stuff. You know what I'm saying? A gossiper or a talebearer likes to spread gossip and oftentimes there's no truth in it. It's just made up stuff. Okay? So was Joseph correct? Was he right? When he went to his daddy and told his daddy about what his brothers were doing, the evil things that his brothers was doing. Yes, Joseph was right because he went to the right person, number one, and number two, he brought the truth, not something that was made up. And that's important. These are real basic things, but that's important for all of you to understand. Because you have a responsibility. If you see something wrong being done, you see evil being done, you have a responsibility to tell daddy. And when you bring those facts, you, you make sure that's the truth, that you're not making up stuff, that you're not embellishing the story, that you're not adding to it in any way, that you're bringing the exact truth, the exact fa facts to the right person. If you do that, then you're right. If you know about evil, if you know about wrongdoing, and you don't bring that truth to the proper authority, you become an accomplice to the evil. And a lot of people don't understand that, especially in the church. Because they think, well, I don't want to talk to the pastor about that because I don't want to gossip on my brothers and my sisters. Well, I'm going to tell you something. That's not gossip. Because if you cover up something that's evil, then you become an accomplice to it. So when Joseph brings this truth, he brings it to the right person and it's nothing that's made up. If you do that, you will be right and not wrong. The problem is, some people take truth and they share it with the wrong people. Do you understand? I was talking to a man last night on the telephone. He was sharing some things with me. And I told him, I said, you know, as long as you talk to the right people, you'll be okay. I said, but don't share this with other people. They don't, they don't have a right to hear what you're saying. I said, because what's going to happen is they're going to mark you. It's, it's, it's not going to look good on you if you tell the wrong people. But I said, you talk to your mentor, you can talk to a pastor, you're talking to me about it, but don't tell anybody else. Because you're going to be the one that's going to be made to look bad. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the problem is, is when somebody knows you know, something's going on, it's not good, it's not right. The problem is they don't want to speak because they think they're gossiping. No, you're not gossiping. The only time you gossip is when you're going to the wrong person. Or if you're adding to the story or making up stuff, that's gossip. Now that is so basic, it is so simple, but we need to hear that as a church. 
Because we have this idea about what gossip is is not true. So when Joseph went to his daddy and told his father about what his brothers were doing, it wasn't gossip because he went to the right person in authority and he brought the truth and not something that was made up. So Joseph did the right thing. Amen? And if you come across something that's wrong, is something that's error, you bring it to the right authority, you let that authority handle it. You don't try to tell them how to fix it. You don't try to tell them how to handle it. You just tell them what the problem is. You leave it with them. And now you're no longer carrying it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Because you gave it. You put it on the shoulders of the right person. You go off. You don't even worry about how he's going to handle it or whatever she's going to do. Because you did the right thing. Does that make sense to you? Okay, say praise the Lord. Now, What's going to happen oftentimes is the brothers or sisters in the church that you exposed are going to give you a cold shoulder. Okay? They, they might walk by you and just look at you just like this. Because they didn't like what you did. But remember this. You did the right thing. I said, you did the right thing. Because you don't want to be an accomplice. Hallelujah. I don't want to be an accomplice to something that's wrong. So when Joseph did this, again, this shows you his character. Because Joseph was responsible for the sheep. His daddy put him in charge of feeding him, taking care of him. And so if he sees the other brothers not doing right, maybe it would cause the destruction of those sheep that he's responsible for. He's got to go and tell his daddy. Say, Daddy, you know, Dan, Naphtali, Asher and Gad, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. The sheep are in danger as a result of that. It wasn't gossip. It actually was for the welfare of the sheep. Amen. Give God praise. So, you, you, you do something wrong and you get in trouble you did it. Not the person that told on you. You did it. So get over it. If somebody shared with proper authority that what you did and, you know, and it was wrong, don't get an attitude. You will, but don't get an attitude toward them because they're not the one that did the wrong. You did. And if you were what you were supposed to be, Nobody would have anything to say on you. Amen? And if you're what you're supposed to be, nobody, if they do bring something, then it's gossip. And it can all be discovered. Does that make sense? Say praise the Lord. Okay. So this shows you the high level again of Joseph that he's willing to be responsible to the right authority and begin to share things that were wrong. Amen? In truth. Now, verse 3. So verse, the Bible says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Again, his love wasn't based on prejudice. Hear me, church. <clears throat> Jacob was not prejudiced. He didn't love Joseph more than the rest of them because he just played favoritism. 
He didn't love Joseph more than the rest of them because he was partial. The Bible tells you the reason why he loved Joseph more than all the rest was because he was a wise son. Amen. So sometimes in the church, you know, the jealousy, there's a lot, there's jealousy, you know, and uh, maybe they may, well, pastor, he shows favoritism to this and he's partial to this one and he's, you know, um, <laughs> no, I love all of you. But there's some people that I pastor that are better than others. You don't want to hear it, but that's the truth. Amen? And it's not because you, you want to be partial or, or play favorites with people, but you got some people that are wiser than other people. Amen? And so again, it's not because this man's partial or playing favoritism. He just recognizes that in this young man, a very godly, high character, high industrial young man, a man that will work, a young man that's busy, a man that has his head on his shoulders right, a man that's wise beyond his years, a man that fears God and loves God. And as a result of that, obviously Jacob's going to be drawn to Joseph. How many want to be like Joseph? I do too. Now, notice what the Bible says about Jacob. He made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, could not speak peaceably unto him. What did Jacob do? Well, the Bible says he made him a coat of many colors. Well, then why did his brethren, when they saw Joseph wearing this coat of many colors, hate him? What was the coat of many colors? It's the mantle. It's the mantle. Look at your neighbor and say it was the mantle. The coat of many colors. Now, it says that Jacob made it. It could be that Jacob transferred it. Because this coat of many colors is the mantle which represented the birthright. You with me? Now I'm going to share some things with you this, this morning that are so important, okay? But I brought this up here not because I don't remember what I read. Thanks, brother. But I brought it up here to show you that it's real, okay? This is a commentary in the book of Genesis by Jewish scholars from Art Scroll. And sometimes when you study the Scripture, I have a lot of tools. A lot of tools. I mean, I've got literally thousands and thousands of dollars worth of tools on my computer. So when you study the Scripture, you have to have tools. You just do. And one of the tools that I have is Jewish scholarship because they have insight into the Hebrew words. Now, and also their own culture. So when it says that Jacob made him a coat of many colors, it could be that he transferred that coat. Now, first of all, let's talk about what does this mantle or this coat represent that would make his brethren so mad at him 
that they hated him. When they saw Joseph walking around with that mantle on his body, it created great fighting and hatred. What did it mean? Well, when you think about the coat of many colors, you may be thinking about a coat that's got all kinds of different stripes in it, you know. Maybe you've seen artists paint the coat of jo uh, Joseph, a coat of many colors with many, many, many stripes, colors, you know. It may have had color, not going to debate that, but what was important was not the fact that the coat had color. What was important is what that mantle or that coat represented. Amen? Now, first of all, when you interpret the word coat of many colors, the Hebrew word can mean long-sleeved that it literally would reach to the palm of the hand. Also, it can mean to the soles of the feet in contrast to a shorter garment. Okay? That's what the Hebrew word means. So when you read coat of many colors, it literally means a tunic of wool that was long-sleeved and all the way as it's interpreted here, uh, it reached to the wrist and to the soles of the feet. Now, normally, the garments that would be worn would be short-sleeved and to the knee. That's what a laborer would wear. Okay? But this coat of many colors or this long-sleeved coat, long to the soles of the feet represented authority. It was a mantle of authority. And what is interesting is that this commentator states, Jewish writer says, that it was believed, let me read it to you, the emphasis that the above interpretations are not mutually exclusive. It was long-sleeved and embroidered tunic made of variously colored strips of wool. The tunic which designated him for what? Leadership. It was a symbol of nobility. It indicated authority or leadership. It gave him the right to offer sacrifice for the family or on the behalf of the family as a priest. You understand? Who wore this What was qualified to perform the sacrificial service. So, another statement mentions a tradition that the tunic was the garment that Jacob received from Esau when Esau sold the birthright. So when Esau sold his birthright, according to tradition, Esau gave him this very coat, this tunic, which represented the birthright of the authority or the leadership in the house. And not only that, but it goes on to say, this garment originally belonged to Adam. 
So that if that's true, where it says that Jacob made the coat of many colors, it could mean simply that he transferred it. That this coat, which represents authority, it represents leadership, it represents the one who has the birthright. Okay? It came from Adam on down the line. And it was passed from father to son. From father to son. That means the mantle is passed down, it's passed down, it's passed down, it's passed down. It's transferred from generation to generation, from a father to the son that has the birthright. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, so when we see Jacob wearing this garment, he's not the oldest son. Reuben has forfeited the birthright to be the leader over the house. To be the one who has authority over the house. And so the Bible says, now listen, 1 Chronicles 5, God was the one that told Jacob to give Joseph the mantle. So again, it wasn't because Jacob was playing favoritism. It wasn't because Jacob was partial to Joseph. God had told him, transfer that mantle. Maybe he did make it. The Bible says he made it. But I'm just showing you that there is a tradition that it, this mantle was passed down all the way from Adam, from father to son, to the person who had the right to be in authority over the house. Okay? And so, it was God that chose Joseph. It was God that said, mantle him. It was God that said, He's the one who has the authority. It was, as the Scripture says, uh, that the power might be of God and not of us. You can't buy this mantle. You can't take this mantle. It is of God. If you want a mantle, you can't go and buy it. I'm not talking about clothing. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. The mantle has to come because God said they're the one. They're chosen. I mantle them. They have authority. So when you read this, don't, don't think that Jacob was being partial or playing favoritism toward Joseph. This was God's will. First Chronicles 5, God said it belongs to Joseph and his sons. And so what we see in this mantle is, first of all, it comes from the hand of a father and is passed down to a spiritual son. Now when you're talking about spiritual sons in the kingdom of God, you're not always talking about gender. But you have to know this, that nobody can take a mantle or buy a mantle. Nobody can receive that mantle or authority in the kingdom of God to rule without God saying, I've chosen them. Does that make sense? 
and it comes, it's transferred or passed down from a spiritual father to spiritual sons. Does that make sense? Okay? Now, authority is different from gifting. There are people who have the gifts of the Spirit, but they're naked. You can be anointed, but naked. Which means this, that you can be used in the gifts of the Spirit, but if you don't have the mantle of authority, then you're anointed, but you're naked. Now what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this, that the mantle speaks of authority. It speaks of being under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It speaks of authority that's passed down from a spiritual father to you. Which means if that mantle is given to you by a spiritual father, you are now covered. You hear the term spoken of around the church circles? That person's under a cover. What that means is they're under proper authority. They're under a proper mantling. They're under a covering. Say praise the Lord. Now, I was talking to a prophet last night. He called me on the telephone. I haven't talked to him in a while. He just happened to call me. He says, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. And so we got in this conversation. Now listen to me please carefully. And I, I said, you know, I'm going to ask you a question. You're a prophet of God. And, and, I, and I ask him basically the question of headship in church. As a prophet of God, how do you operate with a, a set man in a church? How, how do you function that way? And uh, he and I begin to discuss, does the prophet have more authority than the set man in the church? Or does the set man have more authority than the prophet in the church? Okay? Um, it was a good conversation. Now, what he said to me was this. I thought it was interesting. I'll get back to I'll get back on point in a moment. I mentioned to him about Prophetess Melvis in the church. Well, he knows you know prophetic gifting because that's where he operates. And he began as we moved through, progressing through the conversation. He began to prophesy, began to speak by the Spirit of God. And he said, because she has chosen to be here. He said, I don't just see a covering over her. I see four walls around her protecting her. Say praise the Lord, Sister Melvis. Now, what we need to understand then when we come to the Scripture is that there are gifts of the Spirit and there is apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. Now, God sets an overseer in a church and that person that's set as an overseer in the church is mantled with authority. Not just gifts, but with authority. And the other gifts, other gift ministries, other ascension gift ministries uh, like 
you know, pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, will come underneath that authority that's in the church. They will be under that covering. Are you with me here today? What is interesting, if you notice, let's go over here. Okay, let's go over into the New Testament real quick. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians, let's turn in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. And God hath set some in the church. Say set. First, apostles. Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. So we see the order of God is that God sets in a church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, so on and so forth. Now, I want you to see something. It's important for us to understand. And my daughter, Prophetess Melvis, and I have had conversations about this. There cannot be a headless man in the church. That means where you have different giftings and different callings in the house and they're running the show. There has to be somebody that's mantled, not with just gifts, but with the mantle, with the authority. That the rest comes underneath. They come underneath that covering. Okay? And I want you to notice something. Take your left hand. Lift it up. Left hand, please. What does the thumb represent? Point to your, please point to your thumb, please. What does that thumb represent in the five-fold ministry? It represents apostle. The thumb represents the apostle. Now you can put your hand down. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now, the set man in the church most of the time is called a pastor. I want you to catch this. But if he's set by God or she's set by God, that means that the other ministries that are there, sometimes the person that's set, you call them pastor, but they're really apostles because they have the oversight of the church. Now, the apostle then, the set man of the house, notice, Take your four fingers and try to make them face each other. I mean, without the other hand. Put your other hand down and try to make the other fingers face each other. Can you turn those four fingers and make them face each other? I mean, even if you take your... <laughs> have to break them to turn them around to face each other. But the thumb which represents the apostle meets the rest of them head on. So the apostle or the set man in the church is the one who has the authority or the oversight of the church and he deals directly head on 
with the other ministries that are in the church. And the other ministries, no matter how hard they try, they can't meet the other ministry head on. Only the apostle does that. So in the Word of God then, what we need to understand is that the mantle represents authority. And authority trumps, if you understand that term, gifts. You have to understand this. And I told my daughter Wednesday night after service, I said, I do not believe, and this is, I'll just speak it because it's going to happen. I do not believe that she's only going to function as a prophet. I said, I believe that you're going to function as a set person over a church in the future. And I said, you need to understand, I'm giving you this information so you'll understand that you will have the oversight, the authority, the covering, and other ministries will come up around you, but you're the one that has the last say. Because authority, the authority of the apostle, the set person in the church, is governing or overseeing not just the saints, but overseeing the ministry that God sends to that house. Now, Brother Dixon, the prophet I talked to last night, he said, you know, Brother Carter, he said, I have seen. He said, I know four prophets that have been used mightily of God. He said, I know one man. He said, that man prays and fasts more than any person I know. He said, Brother Carter, he said, I have gone on a 40-day fast before. He said, but this man goes on 40-day fast oftentimes. And he said, he's one of the four. And he mentioned these to us, to me. And he said, Brother Carter, he said, what happened is I was, I've watched and I've observed that these four prophets, he said, one of them had an angel come to him. I'm talking about very high level, high ranking prophets in the kingdom of God. He said, but what I have seen is this, is that they, four of them, he said, got this attitude. I'm not accountable to anybody because I'm the prophet. And they would make statements, he said, they, they would talk about how the prophet's not subject to the pastor, the pastor's subject to the prophet. And he said, he has seen these men, I'm talking about men of high rank who've had angels come and who pray and fast often, Forty, this one man oftentimes, 40 days at a time. He said they started falling away from essential truth. He said they started being deceived because they didn't recognize that they needed a covering. They didn't recognize that they needed authority in their life that would keep them from being deceived. And he said, I've seen these four of these five great prophets that he knows personally that took that attitude that the prophet is greater than the priest, so to speak. And they have been deceived. They're falling away from the truth. And so I'm sharing this with you not because I'm worried about my authority. I honestly, if it's not from God, it's nothing anyway. I'm not saying this today for my sake. I'm saying it for you. 
so you'll understand the way God works. At any time, you, I don't care what level of ministry you're in, you can be even a deacon in the church. You start getting the attitude that you are the set man's boss. You start getting an attitude that you can tell that set man what to do. You are fixing to be deceived. If you're not already being deceived. Because God doesn't do that. He doesn't speak from the bottom up. He speaks from the top down. The oil flows from the top, the head down to the beard, which is, this is headship. Amen. The beard is leadership. And the garments down to the foot represents fellowship. God speaks by an anointing coming from the head down. Headship, leadership, fellowship. He doesn't come from the bottom up. Some people don't like what I'm saying, but that's the truth. Amen. Now, if you want to be covered, then you'll understand the difference between a mantle, authority, and gifts of the Spirit. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And you say, well, Pastor, well, who's your boss? Who's your boss? Well, yeah, God, but I got one other one. Sister Christina. She lets me know every day who's running the show. <laughs> no matter how hard I try, she's the boss. I just, I, I just let her think so. Don't tell her I said that, but I just let her think so. Praise the Lord. Amen. So when you talk about mantles, you are talking about something that is transferred from a father to a son. Some people say, well, I'm not going to listen to a man. Or you got people come around you and say, why do you listen to that man? One question that shows you where they are. Why do you listen to that man? You say, because I want a mantle. I want a mantle. If you don't have somebody in your life that's been mantled by God, that you are covered by, which means you're not under authority and you're doing your own thing. I will tell you what's going to happen. You will go to hell and everybody that is following you will go to hell. Because you're doing your own thing. So I don't care if people get mad and they leave the church. This is reality. What I'm sharing with you and time will tell. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So you need to thank God for authority that's in your life. Now listen to me carefully. So many today, even preachers, they want to preach about Jesus as Savior, but they don't want Him as Lord. They want the ghost, not the Holy Ghost. What are you saying, Pastor? 
They want to dead Jesus. When you talk about being under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, under His authority, now you're talking about a living Lord. See, I didn't get the ghost. I got the Holy Ghost. That means that He is a living Lord Jesus. But a lot of people today, they just want the ghost. They don't want a Jesus that's alive. They don't want a Jesus that's going to be an authority over them. He's the ultimate apostle. He's the Lord of glory. <clears throat> and what you need to understand is that there's different, even different levels of apostleship. There's different levels of the prophetic. I told my daughter the other night, I said, 30, 60, 100-fold ministry. I said, you're not yet a 100-fold prophet. But you will mature into that. But beyond that, you will be have more, more rank because I believe God's going to set you over a congregation. But you need to understand that even in the ministry, there's different levels or different ranks. And when you talk about that mantle, you're talking about rank. You're talking about leadership. You're talking about authority. And not all apostles have the same rank. And not all uh, prophets have the same rank. Not all pastors and teachers have the same rank. There's different levels of rank. And depending on your levels of rank determines how many angels are going to fight on your behalf. Jesus, the head over His disciples, His apostles, He made this statement. When they came to, he said, I can call right now for thousands of angels because he had ultimate authority. And depending on the rank that you have, the mantle that you have, that will determine how many angels are protecting you, how many angels are going to fight on your behalf. Give the Lord praise in the house. Now that's why I say, listen to this carefully. God said to Jacob, get the mantle and give it to Joseph. He said, if you want to receive it this way, Jacob, get it made now. If it's not transferred, if it's something that he did make, I'm just telling you this, is that God came to the Father and said to the Father, mantle that son. Get it to him now. It's critical that he has it now. Why? Because God knew what Joseph was going to face. When his brethren who are evil, because of their jealousy and envy, take him and throw him in a pit. The word pit means without water, but with serpents and scorpions. They took Joseph and they stripped him, we'll see in a moment, of his mantle and threw him into that pit with serpents and scorpions. What kept Joseph alive was the mantle. What kept Joseph alive was he was under a covering. That's why God said, 
get that mantle and give it to Joseph Jacob because he's going to need it. The devil's going to try to kill him. They're going to put him in a pit with serpents and with scorpions. But because he's a mantle, that mantle will protect him from death. He will be taken over into Egypt as a captive stripped of that physical mantle but in the spirit he has a spiritual mantle everybody look at me this is vital for you to hear because he had a spiritual mantle when the harlot came after him That old harlot that's riding the back on the back of a scarlet colored beast in the book of Revelation. She tried to get his garment. I'm not talking about the mantle. His brethren had stripped that from him. And we'll get to that in a moment. But spiritually speaking, when he traveled a few hundred miles to Egypt in the desert in iron chains, the Bible said the iron chains hurt him. He was going through it. They took him over into Egypt. But because he had a mantle, he was protected. He was protected from dying when his brothers tried to kill him. Are you with me today? That's why you need a mantle. You need a covering in your life because it will protect you when brethren in the church try to destroy you. Give the Lord a praise in the house. That mantle will protect you against serpents. It will protect you against scorpions because I've got a covering. It wasn't Reuben that helped Joseph. It was the mantle that he had that protected him from being destroyed and that spiritual mantling went with him when he went to Egypt and God protected him throughout all of his tests and all of his trials in Egypt because he had a mantle and when the harlot came to seduce him when the harlot came to, to take his clothing he said yes to the spirit and no to the flesh he said I cannot sin against God I'm not going to give in to this sin I'm going to obey God. I'm going to serve God. I say no to the harlot. I say no to the flesh. And I say yes to the spirit. Give the Lord praise in the house. He was being tested at that moment. Will you surrender to your flesh? Or will you maintain the spiritual mantle? And because he said, I can't sin against God. I'm not giving into the flesh. God protected him with a spiritual mantle and raised him up to be number two in the land of Egypt. Do you understand the importance of a mantle in your life? It will protect you. I said it will protect you. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Now, I say this for your understanding. It's been prophesied to this ministry that we would go in different parts of the world and, and, and help other servants of God and minister to other servants of God. I tell you that it came Sunday night. I told you when I was in Zambia, two prophets I had never seen in my life 
came and sat with me in the lobby while I wait to be picked up and those two prophets of God begin to prophesy to me about different nations that I would go to. So that's the first time it was prophesied. The second time it was prophesied uh, through my daughter here that this would take place, you know. And I'm just looking at her. But last night, while I was on the telephone with the prophet, he began to prophesy to me. And he said, you're going to go to other nations. You're going to speak to other nations. Hallelujah. And I want she, he, he did not know what she said. But he said, you are not to be focused on that local assembly only. That's exactly what she said the other night. I'm going, Ooh. I'm going, well, he, don't, he wasn't in church service when she said that. And he just said the very same words that she just said. And what he said was this to me. He said, you're going to go to one nation and that nation is going to prepare you to fight the demonic spirits of the next nation. You're going to learn progressively. He said, God is going to develop you. You're going to grow into uh, what God wants you to do in your ministry as you go from one nation to another nation. And you'll learn to fight one devil in that nation and you'll take that experience to the next nation. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. God is great and greatly to be praised. But it is the mantle that protects us. It's that covering. It's that anointing. Give a lot of praise in the house. But it's more than anointing. It's been handed down from generation to generation. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses let everything be established. So I've got it coming from, from the mouth of a minimum of three, possibly four prophets. And the prophet last night told me, he said this, because I've been weighing this. He said, when these opportunities come to you, he said, pray to God. If you feel good about it, he said, go. That's what he told me. So I'll know when I'm supposed to go. So I'm going to pray to God. And I'm going to feel good about it. That doesn't mean I'm going to quit you. Hallelujah. But I'm just telling you in the mighty name of Jesus that there is a difference between mantle and anointing. Are you anointed but naked? Or are you anointed and you've got a mantle? Give the Lord praise in this house. Give Him glory. Give Him honor. Give Him worship. That is the thing that will protect you. That is the thing that is covering you. That's the thing that's keeping going to keep you from dying because you're under a proper mantle. Now you need to understand the response of his brethren. They didn't like it. They hated him because of this. But God is the one. They may have looked at it and said, well, Daddy is showing favoritism. Daddy is partial. Daddy's, uh, you know, he's just like that. No, God told Jacob to do it. I'll say it again. That the power be not of us, but of God. Give the Lord praise in the house. These are things that we don't take lightly. But as you go forward, the thing that's going to keep you from dying in a pit surrounded by serpents and surrounded by scorpions is that mantle that God has given you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So that you'll not only have purpose, 
you'll have power. I want the Holy Ghost. I don't want just the ghost. I want the Holy Ghost. It's a living Lord. He's not dead. He is alive. He's not just my Savior. He's my Lord. And when he tells me to go here, I must go there. And when he tells you, you must go. But the good news is that you have a covering. You have protection in your life. The moment you stepped out from under that covering, is when you start being deceived. And I tell you, as Brother Dixon was sharing with me, if four mighty prophets that he knows personally can be deceived because they thought they had more authority than the, the set man of the house, uh, I'm telling you, it can happen to any of us. How many of y'all are thankful today for God's protection? The only reason I'm alive today is because there's an invisible mantle. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. There is authority. <laughs> you know, you start doing, doing things on your own, you'll lose your mind. I said, you'll lose your mind. The Bible says, try the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. It, it, you know, just if a prophet prophesies, the Bible says another prophet has to judge what the prophet said. If the prophet is not willing to be judged by what, you know, what was said by another prophet, they don't deserve to be a prophet. And the Bible says it must be done in order. The, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means you, when you get that spirit on you, prophetic anointing on you, it's subject to you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God praise. And one by one we'll prophesy in an order. It's not going to be confusion in the house. Give the Lord praise. If it's God, God is not the author of confusion. He's a God of order. There should not be confused signaling in the church. As long as that understanding is in the church. And it, and it begins with the man behind the pulpit understanding it. So he can teach you. So he can teach the other ministries. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise in the house. So it's a powerful, powerful thing. That's transferred from fathers to sons. Now, there are some who die because they don't wait for the mantle. For whatever reason, you know, the enemy comes to them, deceives them, you know, talks to them, whatever. Some battle, temptation, trial comes and they get out of their place. Don't get out of your place. Because if you get out of your place, what will happen to you is you'll miss the mantle. I want to tell you something, church. I've not just been a pastor all my life. I wasn't born a pastor. I was set, I set under a pastor. Are y'all here with me today? And there are oftentimes you don't understand men that are leading church. You don't understand them. But I want to tell you something. I knew at some point, because God had showed me that one day I would pastor a church, and I knew that. And that was in the fifth year of my conversion. I started pastoring in my eighth year. Three years later, after God showed me that I would pastor a church, three years later I was pastoring a church before I was 30 years of age. 
And I knew because God showed me in that altar when I, get, I, got, I was on my knees and I heard God say, you'll pastor a church, get up and begin to prepare. And when I got up from there, I went to my pastor, my covering, and I said, I believe that God has called me to pastor a church and I'm going to begin to prepare. I, I subjected myself, submitted myself to Him and told Him that. And for three years, I prepared to pastor that church. And things would happen in the church, you know. You know problems come in the church. Things would happen in the church. And I probably wasn't always exactly 100% what I should be. But I'm going to tell you with all of my heart and before God today, I tell you the truth that I did everything I possibly could to submit to that authority. And keep a right spirit and keep a right attitude. And there were times it was so hard, so hard, that I, I'd lay on my floor in my house and I'd cry out to God and I'd say, God, I can't do it on my own. I can't leave on my own. God, will you get me out of this situation? Because it's so hard. And I'm not speaking against the man. I'm just talking about when you get in, really involved in ministry and you're serving God and the warfare that's coming. and You know what I'm talking about. And it's not easy to say, yes, sir, all the time. And so it was painful at times. But I never, no matter what I went through, no matter how I was treated, I never left on my own. Never did. There was a couple of times, you might not know this about me, there was a couple of times that I just had enough. And I went to my pastor and, and I said, well... And, you know, and with the right attitude and the right spirit, says, well, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere else. And before I knew it, me and Sister Christina was picking back up, picking up our stuff, walking out the door, and we stayed right where we were. <laughs> it just happened that way. I'm just letting you know, I'm being honest with you, I'm being truthful with you. There were times when I wanted to leave. Amen? But I knew if I left on my own, that I would not have that covering. I knew if I left on my own that I would reap what I was sowing. I knew if I sowed the wrong seeds toward that pastor that it would come back up in my life not tenfold, but a hundredfold. Not ten times, but a hundred times. And so I was always very careful because I knew someday I would be where He is and that is standing behind a pulpit. So I didn't run off and leave even when I was hurting. I stayed there. I submitted myself. And God was the one that called me to pastor. And when God called me to pastor, that's when I left. It's not because of the pain I was in. It was not because of disappointment. I stayed there and I stayed there and I stayed there and it didn't matter, hallelujah, because I knew someday I'm, I've got to be where I need to be in order to pastor a church. So maybe, maybe you might not understand me, but I'm going to tell you this, that people that just get up and say, well, I'm leaving. I don't understand that. You might get to a place where you want to leave, but you'll change your mind. And I promise you, if I hadn't gone through what I had gone through as a saint in a church, there's no way I would have survived being a pastor. 
God knows what you need. And I told the prophet last night, I said, what you're going through right now, don't look at it as a negative. Look at it as a resource. God has downloaded into your life a resource. No matter how you've been treated, it's a resource. You're going to need it when you start doing the work of God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So I'm sharing some things with you maybe you didn't know about me. But you've got to have something on the inside of you. It says, I'm not going anywhere. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise in the house. Because there's a mantle that's involved. And I started pastoring that church in Crane. And my mentor, as far as ministry is concerned, Brother Dice, he's not the pastor I'm talking about right now. Brother Dice is my spiritual ministry mentor in the ministry. And I remember Brother Dice, he got cancer. You know, people flying all over from all over the country. Y'all don't, some of y'all don't know who Brother Dice is. He's one of the greatest Bible preachers and teachers you've ever, that I've ever heard in my life. He's prayed literally hundreds and thousands of people to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. He was my mentor, my spiritual father in the ministry. And I remember when he was on his deathbed, and me and Christina, we were called to his bedside by uh, Sister Grace. Some of y'all remember Sister Grace. She's in Michigan now. And she called me on the telephone. She said, Brother Carter, Brother Dice is fixing to die. So Sister Christine and I got in the car, went over to his house. And I walked over there to him. He looked up at us on his deathbed. And he said, My children. My children. See, I have a spiritual father in my life. Spiritual father as a pastor who pastored me as a saint. I had a spiritual father in my life who was a mentor to me in the ministry. See, that's what qualifies you for ministry. Do you have a father? And when he looked up and he said to me, my children, that was God speaking to him. Do you understand? I'll never tell you, I'll never tell you that I got his mantle. Would to God that I got his mantle. But he's done more, he did more for the kingdom of God than I'll probably ever do. I want to do. But I'm just telling you today, I'm not going to say I got his mantle. But I know what it's like to have a spiritual father in my life. I know what it's like to be tested to the core, to be pushed to the limits, and desiring to want to take it on yourself and leave. I know what it's like. But if you want a mantle, if you want authority in your life, you have to resist that. And when voices come to you and say, you don't need to listen to that man. He's just trying to control you. <laughs> Would to God I could control you. <laughs> are you kidding me? All those are voices that are coming to you and saying, get out of there. But there's something inside of you and I it, let it not be my voice. Let it not be my voice. But let it be the Spirit of God that says to you, not me, because I cannot. I cannot qualify myself. But let it be the Spirit of God that says to you, you don't leave because you need a mantle in your life. You don't just need gifting. 
You don't just need anointing. You need authority in the kingdom. And they're transferred from generation to generation from a father down. Give the Lord a hand clap. So I pray to God, and I don't believe I am, but I pray to God that I'm not just anointed and naked. I pray to God I'm anointed and I'm mantled. And I've often told you this, if I'm not, you better run out of here. Excuse me, I just... I drank a protein drink, sorry. That's called being a human being. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah, praise the Lord. Kind of crazy, isn't it? But I say it again in sincerity. If I'm not a man of God, if I'm not mantled by the Lord, if you can't discern that, those fruits of the Spirit in my life and the doctrine I preach is being correct, I tell every one of you, you hit that pavement as fast as you can running. You get out of here as fast as you can. Because if you follow me and I am not a man of God, you're going to hell. If you think I'm trying to keep you here, I've actually told you, you go if I'm not a man of God. Say praise the Lord. But I will tell you this, I promise, I really didn't plan on getting into all of this, but I will tell you this right now, that we're human beings and we're subject to, at times to mistakes or errors. Even though you might have an anointing or you may be, you know, mantled or whatever, there's still that tribe of spirits to see whether or not they are of God. And sometimes we're subject to error. Amen. I am. But I will say this to you that if I find out that I'm wrong on something, I'll be the first one to tell you I was wrong. I'll be the first one to tell you. I repent. Because the moment that you think that you can't make a mistake is the moment that you're walking in pride. I recently went, went through something with a wonderful saint of God in this church. and I made a mistake with them. They're still here, by the way. They didn't leave. So I don't think it's somebody that's left. But I made a mistake with them and I... I found out I made a mistake. Man, I called him on the phone. I said, no, I was wrong on this. You know, will you forgive me? I was wrong. And uh, they started trying to cover me. Well, pastor, you know, you might have been talking about something else in my life other than that. I said, no. When I called you or when I sent that text to you, it was for a specific reason. Don't try to cover me. I appreciate your attitude. But I say to you, I was wrong and I repent and I'm sorry. Okay? I'm not going to try to make excuses. I'm not going to say let you try to, you know, give me a way to squirm out of it. If I'm wrong, I'm going to tell you I'm wrong. I have to be that way. Because listen to me, if you're not if you don't understand Everybody can get caught up in emotion. 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 
You can speak out of your own spirit because your emotions are up. And sometimes the enemy will disguise himself as an angel of light and come in and speak. And you think you're hearing from God. And you find out that wasn't the Lord. What do you do with that? You repent. You say, I was wrong. But I want to tell you what the devil's going to do. He's going to come after you. He came after me after that. He said, ah, you're not a prophet of God. Look at you. You missed it there. You're not a prophet of God. You just need to get out of the ministry now because you missed it there. Man, I had to fight that off. I said, God, you know I've repented. I'm repenting to you. I'm asking you to forgive me, God. I didn't want to miss it. That wasn't my desire. I didn't want to mislead. I didn't intend to deceive people. You know my heart, God. If you want me to quit the ministry, I will. I'm still here. But all I'm sharing with you today, I'm just opening up my heart to you, man. I'm letting you see I'm a human being. I'm trying to serve God. I want to serve Him. I, I, I want to do a work for Him. I want to spread His kingdom. And the reason why I preach what I preach this morning is not because I'm concerned about my position. I could care less. It's not from God. It's nothing anyway. It's so you won't be deceived. In the mighty name of Jesus. So that you'll understand there's somebody holding people accountable. Not just the saints, but ministries accountable. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And I listen to the servants of God. I listen to the prophets of God. And God lets me know, yes, but sometimes I don't know how to act on it. So I asked the prophet last night. I said, when I have a word that comes to me and it's not complete, at least at that moment, what do I do with that? He said, well, number one, maybe the prophet isn't seeing it clearly yet. Or number two, he said, maybe it's something that's going to happen down the road. And I said, okay. I said, because there's sometimes I just don't know what to do with, with these words. But I listen. I want you to know I listen. I listen. Because if it's God, I can't afford to miss it. Do you know what I'm saying? So when I make a mistake like that, why? You know? See, I can make a mistake and I can cost somebody their soul. If I make a mistake on some levels, they might get bitter, leave the church, mad at God, and say that, you know, just get, be through with everything. Do you understand that? You make a mistake. You can fix it real easy. If a doctor makes a mistake on the operating table, it can mean your life. If a pastor makes a mistake, it could mean your spiritual life. That's why I take it so seriously. I just ask you, will you do this for me? I ask you, church. I submit to you in this way. I ask you to pray for me that I don't miss it because I don't want the blood of any sheep on my hands. You with me here today? So I'm very concerned about if I do hear something from the Lord that it is really God because I could kill you. Spiritually. Anybody understand? Do you understand the mantle? It represents rank. Hallelujah. Bishop, I don't want just an anointing. I want authority. 
because demons are subject to us through His name. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Ghost, not just the ghost. He is my Lord. He is your Lord. And if He can't tell you how to live, you don't have a mantle. And it could kill you. Amen. And so let me finish. The Bible tells us, this help anybody? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. And I don't have a jealous bone in my body. Sister Melvin's get up and prophesy and slay all of y'all in the spirit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm good. <laughs> I just sit there and say, yeah, go God. <laughs> I have not a jealous bone in my body. Brother Dixon knows that. He knows I have a desire to see ministries developed. He knows that. He told me that. He said, the first time I met you in that ranch in Tennessee, he said, I knew that about you. I have a jealous bone in my body. Amen? What matters to me is that we do it God's way. <laughs> in the mighty name of Jesus. God's good. And I thank the Lord for ministries that God's bringing. They're gifts to you. Do you know that? They're gifts to you. Are you thankful for the gifts of God? Ministry is a gift of God to you. When He starts raising up, maybe bringing it even from the outside. Ministries, be thankful. Ministries are coming up from the inside. Don't get jealous like these brothers did. And well, Daddy's more partial now. You know, he's showing favoritism. No, God said, you mark that person. You mark them. How many of y'all love Jesus? Amen. You love Jesus? There's a man, I told him, you know, I was fixing to go out of town. There's a man that called me yesterday, and I've known him for years and years and years. He's pastored a church, and uh, he's not pastoring right now. He went through a very severe trial in his life, and uh, his intention is to come and be with us in, here in the house. And I told him, I said, Oh, you sure? You're welcome. You come. And I haven't seen him because he's been busy working. But he, I talked to him weekly. And he said he's fixing to get a promotion. He's fixing to change his schedule. And he'll be able to come to church. So I told him, hey, when you come, I might not be here. Just letting you know. You're still welcome. I'm going to be out of town. Just to let him know. He shows up. Where's the pastor? He's not here. I let him know I'm not going to be here. But after talking to him on the telephone, I said, I just returned your call. He said, I'm just checking in. I'm just checking in. This is a man who used to pastor a church. Checking in with me. <laughs> so many people today, well, we've got to tell that pastor when we're not going to be at church. We've got to tell him when we're going. Well, I've got to tell him everything. This man right here is not, he hadn't even been into this church. I haven't seen him in years. He's checking in with me. Then what's wrong with you? Well, I don't want you to be a lord over me, Wolf. Like that's going to happen anyway. Ain't nobody can tell you what to do.
Somebody say praise the Lord. So if I mislead you, if I tell you to do something contrary to the Scripture, don't listen to me. And you see a manifestation of false fruit in my life over a period of time, you get out. You leave. You leave. How many of y'all love the Lord? But hopefully, hopefully if that if that's going on and God will take me out, you won't have to go. You know what I'm saying? If I'm not really what I'm supposed to be, if I'm not a man of God, let the Lord remove me, not you. Hallelujah. Because <laughs> by the way, I don't want to lose my mind. You take on things that you shouldn't be taking on. Listen to me by the word of the Lord. You take on things you're not supposed to be taking on. You're going to lose your mind. There's some battles you're not mantled to engage in. It'll kill you. You'll lose your mind. Your family possibly commit suicide. It's not easy. Ministry is not easy. And not only do I ask you to pray for me, but I ask you to pray for Minister Lemons. I ask you to pray for Prophet Melvis. I ask you to pray. Brother Daniel's feeling called in the ministry. I ask you to pray for him. I ask you to pray for Brother Timothy. He's feeling his call in the ministry. I ask you to pray for these leaders in the church. I ask you to pray for the choir leader. They can get lifted up in pride like Lucifer because they're, you know, involved with the worship. Pray for them. Pray for the ones that are on the platform singing. Play. You understand? Pray for the leadership of your church. They need your prayer covering. Prophetess Melvis, so I don't forget, I told the prophet, Brother Dixon, that I would ask you to intercede for him. He and his wife right now are in transition in ministry. I said, I believe that she will intercede for you and God will, God will draw you, pull you in. You don't have to drive it. I said, let God draw you in. So I told him I'd ask you to intercede for him. Stephen Dixon, Carrie Dixon, and their family. Give the Lord a hand clap. So we see his mantle, his brethren full of envy, full of jealousy. We don't want Joseph ruling over us. We don't want him to have rank over us. You know? See, every, every Israelite home had a loom. Every Israelite home had a, a, a loom that could weave garments with. And if Joseph made that, he weaved it on the loom. Possibly put purple in it. Possibly put scarlet in it. Possibly put blue in it. Maybe it was just solid white with embroidered colors on it. I don't know. But every Jewish home had a loom that they could weave that mantle with so it could be passed from generation to generation. I'm telling you today, it's still being passed on from generation to generation. It's being transferred from fathers to sons. From fathers to sons. Give the Lord praise. It's a wonderful thing. That's when Elijah got caught up. And Elisha had said, I want a double portion of thy spirit. 
And Elijah says, if you see me when I'm taken up, if you see eye to eye with me, he goes up. Elisha sees him goes up. Here comes that mantle of Elijah. He picks it up and he smites the river Jordan and Jordan opens up. He's got a double portion. He's got his spirit, Elisha's spirit, and Elijah's spirit. A double portion. Because he's got the mantle. He didn't say, my prophet, my prophet. He said, my father, my father. Because mantles are transferred from fathers to sons. <clears throat> Give the Lord praise. Can you point? Can you say who your dad? Do you have a daddy? Do you have a spiritual daddy in your life? <laughs> some of you that's a spirit. You have a spiritual father that's won you to the Lord. You have some of you have a spiritual father that won you through the Lord. You were already in the Lord when you came to know Him. But they're set there to mantle you in the purpose of ministry. Amen? God is good. Amen. Timothy was Paul's son, but Timothy was already a believer when Paul came across him. Paul won him through the Lord. He was won to the Lord probably by his own family. Okay, do you understand? All right. Let me move on. Appreciate your patience. You can, you can, you can tell where I tick. That makes sense. Tick, 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 tick. You can tell what makes me go. I have a passion for this. God is good, isn't He? Alright. Do my best to finish within the next two days. Verse 4, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. But it didn't stop the mantle. Contention doesn't stop the mantling. Disagreement doesn't stop the mantling. Hatred doesn't stop the mantling. They can hate you. They can fuss at it. They can fight it. But they can't stop the mantle. They can get an attitude, but they can't stop the mantle. They may not like it, but they can't stop the mantle. Because God said, and you're always going to have that. The, the fussing and fighters in the church. But they cannot stop the mantle. Give the Lord a praise. Give the Lord a praise. When heaven honors you, earth very rarely will. When God puts His mantle on you, puts His call on you in your life, when heaven honors you, you get ready because all hell is going to break loose into your life. When you've got the approval of heaven, you will very rarely have the approval of earth. And that's hard. Give God praise. Now listen, there, there may be some of you right now that in this church, I feel the Holy Ghost, that you're called to preach, but you're running from it as fast as you can because you are afraid because you know that what heaven honors, the earth dishonors. But yield to God. 
It's worth it. It's worth it. I said it's worth it. How many want to serve God with all of your heart? It's worth it. Mm. How many of you want to walk with angels? You want angels to defend you and protect you. How many of you want demons to be subject to you through His name? Wouldn't it be a horrible thing? You walk up to somebody got a demon spirit and say, Come out in the name of Jesus. They just look at you and they laugh at you. <laughs> Who are you? Better pray to God you got something. When you come to the demon possessed person, you say, Get out! They better go. They're not going if you don't have anything. They might jump on you and tear your clothes off. Because they're after that clothing. That harlot was after his mantle in, the, in, the, in Egypt. She was after that mantle. You can disqualify yourself. When she comes, don't give in. Spirit. They hated him for it, could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph dreamed a dream. Now we find out he's a dreamer. They thank you, Jesus. He's a dreamer. Dreamed a dream. He told his brethren and they hated him yet more. He said to them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were, be, uh, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood up round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. His brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. He told it to his father. <laughs> so he has two dreams. He's a dreamer. When God speaks to you important things, He will always come in pairs. He will give you a dream in pairs. When you look at the life of Joseph, he had two dreams here. Later on, you'll see him. He will dream in pairs. God is saying, I'm saying to you something very important. You have a dream one time. Meditate on it. You have the same dream twice or about the same thing twice. Could be from God. Take it as being from God. When you dream in pairs, that's to get your attention. God is saying something very, very important to you. This man dreamed in pairs and twins. And so he says, at first dream, he said, I had this dream and he said, these sheaves, they represent you eleven brothers. You eleven brothers are going to come down, come and bow before me. You're going, to, you're going to esteem me someday. And then he had another dream and he said, I saw the sun, the moon, and the stars, the eleven stars, mom and dad. And the eleven brothers are all going to esteem him. You want to know in the book of Revelation in the twelfth chapter, that woman, the Bible talks about, clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet. Got a crown on her head with twelve stars. That's Israel. This is where you get the interpretation of it. When he, now listen, it made his brothers mad because they didn't want to esteem him. And when he told the second dream about the sun, the moon, and the stars to his dad, his dad started screaming at him. 
Jacob lost his temper. He started yelling at Joseph. He told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him. The word rebuke means to yell at. Are y'all getting tired? I can't quit now because I got another message I got to preach tonight. I can't carry it over, but his daddy started yelling at him. Joseph didn't expect that because daddy loved Joseph. See, there are some people that'll come out you, you expect them to, right? There's some people that will come after you. You don't expect it. Joseph didn't expect his father to scream at him. But he did. But, hallelujah, with time, Jacob realized it's God. And he changed his mind. And he started observing it. He started retaining it. He kept it to himself. He said, you know, I better pay attention to this dream. He changed his mind. You with me? Verse 10, I told to his father, to his brethren, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and my, thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? His brethren envied him. But his father observed the scene. He changed his mind. He calmed down. He says, you know, I better pay attention to this. He had it in pairs. Showing the family, esteeming him at a high level. He took note of it. Say, praise the Lord. It came from an unexpected place. He didn't expect to be yelled at by his daddy. But he was. Let me share this with you. Do, you. do you know that even though Jacob, at the beginning, it was hard for him to hear that? So hard that he yelled at Joseph? Only later to change his mind that Joseph never ever got an attitude towards his father. He did not hold it against him. He's the mantled son. He's the one that has authority. He's the one that has a position that qualifies him to do sacrifices. He's got it. His daddy gave it to him. But he didn't let that go to his head. He didn't rebel against his father. He kept the right spirit. He kept an obedient spirit. His brethren envied him. He knew they hated him. He knew it. Verse 12, And his brethren went to, to feed his father's flock in Shechem. That's 50 miles north of where they were in Hebron. 50 miles. Could you imagine traveling 50 miles with your sheep to feed them? And the Bible says, Remember Shechem? Shechem was where Diana, Dinah was defiled. It's a place of defilement. This is a place of unhappy memories for Jacob. This is where Simeon and Levi killed 
the males of Shechem. It was a bloodbath. Bad memories for Jacob. Bad place. A place of idolatry. But bad brothers go to bad places. They go to places that are defiled. And they go to Shechem. And then so what does Jacob do? He sends Joseph. He said to him, okay, verse 13, Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here I am, very quick to obey. He could have had an attitude. Daddy, you screamed at me a while ago. No. Attitude right. Here I am, Dad. Just quick to obey. High character. So Jacob says to him, verse 14, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with thy flocks, and bring word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Knowing he was hated, knowing he was hated by his brothers. And you know how he went? He went with the mantle on. When you know you're hated because of a mantle, you'll be tempted to take the mantle off. It takes courage to go to people that you know they hate you. Joseph knew his brothers hated him, but his father's sending him. So he has the courage to go where his father sends him to people that hate him wearing the mantle. It takes courage to go to those that hate you and it takes courage to wear the proper clothing when you go. And I'm not just talking about a mantle. <laughs> I'm talking about dressing right. I'm talking about dressing holy. But in this case, it's the mantle. Do you know how much courage it takes, brother? You know, you're never going to be hated. Everybody loves you. Y'all love him? Y'all love him. I got two that love you. They're family members. <laughs> Only the family section of you. Yeah, we. Do you understand how hard would it be hard for you to go to those that hate you? And when you go, wear the thing that they hate you for? The courage that that takes to not want to fit in? Ooh, in the name of Jesus. But a mantle It's going to take courage to wear it. It's going to take courage. To go where I, we're hated. But the mantle is going to protect you, Joseph. It's going to be alright. It's going to be alright. That mantle is going to protect you. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. I know. How many of y'all love me? Okay. My family members. <laughs> I told my daughter the other night, Sister Melvis, I said, nobody likes me. He said, I love you, Daddy. I said, nobody likes me. He don't like me. That's the way you feel sometimes, you know. You know, one person, but maybe not everybody. Amen. But even if, even if people don't hate you, but you feel like they are hating on you, it still takes courage, doesn't it? Are you getting bored? I know you are, but that's all right. Just think, I'll be gone for about a month, hallelujah, and you won't have to endure these long, long preachings. Aren't you thankful? So he goes where he's hated and he wears his mantle. Symbol of his authority. The symbol of his authority. Go check the flock because you're responsible for the flock. Go check your brethren. See how they're doing. Assignment from daddy. Verse 15, a certain man with me here. So, verse 14, he said, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Look how quickly he obeys. Quickly obeys. He, you know how long a walk that is? That's 50 miles. You can't get in your car and drive. He's got to walk 50 miles to check the sheep and his brothers. That's a long journey. That's a hard walk to do. And when he gets to Shechem, which by the way means sent, his brothers are not there. They travel another 10 to 15 miles to Dothan. So he's got to keep walking another 10 to 15 miles to catch up with his brothers. But he had the consecration to keep going. See, there's some people, they obey quickly, man. They're, they're, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. But they don't have the consecration to finish the journey. Joseph had something on the inside. My daddy said, I've got to check those sheep. My daddy said, I've got to check my brothers. I'm going to keep on going. I don't care if I've got to walk another 10 or 15 miles. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to finish what my daddy called me to do, what my daddy told me to do. Do you see that? When he got to Shechem, he could have said, well, I'm more daddy was wrong. They're not here. I'm going back home. No, he said, I don't know where I'm going, but I've got to find them because daddy sent me. The consecration it would take to finish the journey. Anybody can start the race. What about finishing it? A certain man found him. Behold, he was wandering in the field. He's wandering around. The man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? He said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. 
And when they saw him afar off, his brethren, they see him coming from a distance. They see that mantle. They can see it from a distance. They start planning to kill him as soon as they see him. As soon as they see that mantle, they start planning the attack. The enemy, that's why he, as soon as he sees the mantle on you, you don't think the enemy doesn't realize that you got a mantle on you? He knows when you've got a mantle on your life. And as soon as he sees you, he's going to plan the attack quickly, quickly, quickly. He's not going to wait. He's going to take you out as soon as he possibly can. Because he sees that mantle. He recognizes that mantle. You understand? His brothers start planning and plotting from a distance. You know? Conspiracy to kill him. When they saw him, verse 18, afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. They said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast have devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. So they're going to try to kill They want to murder him. I told you they were evil. They want to murder him. And then they mock him and the God who gave him the dream. Here comes that dreamer <laughs> mocking the messenger. We'll see what becomes of his dreams. Mocks God. You get somebody like Joseph. Man, people, they'll start attacking the messenger and the message he brings or she brings. You see that? Can you believe that? These are church people. Mocking the dream that God gave. Therefore, mocking God who gave it. Brother Dixon, last night, now, I mean, I, you, you guys don't just, I mean, y'all are doing real good. You have to sit there and listen to me for two hours, but I didn't go to bed till about one o'clock last night. I should be the one that's tired. Standing on the phone with him, you know. I let him do most of the talking. I do. I just, every once in a while I say, now, okay, let me say something here. I'm, I believe this is the Lord, you know, let me say something. Okay. But most of the time he does all the talking, you know. Amen. But it's, it's just, we need to understand that the enemy recognizes that call that's on a person's life. He does. But what we were talking about was how there's some pastors who don't believe in prophets. I'm talking about Holy Ghost Jesus name men. They don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They don't believe that people can still prophesy, that people can, that God still gives dreams and visions to people. There's people sitting in the church of God, not just preachers, I mean not just saints, but preachers in the pulpit that don't believe in that. Am I right, Prophet Smelvis? You've run across them. They, they don't believe in these things. The prophet says, I had a dream from God. I don't believe it. Or they'll just go, or they'll say, Really? 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 You'd be surprised how many Pentecostal apostolic preachers don't believe in prophets, don't believe in dreams and visions. You'd be surprised how many saints. In fact, some of you right in this church right now, you say you believe in prophetic visions and dreams. Well, let somebody bring one to you. 
You don't believe it. You doubt it. That's these brethren. They're evil. They're full of hatred. They can't stand the mantling, the gifting that's on this man's life. So they mock him and the God who gives the dream. We'll see what comes of his dreams. Reuben heard it. This is the, that firstborn son, remember? Of Jacob, Reuben heard it. He delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Good, Reuben. Good, at least you got a start here. Reuben says, "Don't let's don't kill him. No, Reuben, you should have put a stop to it. You're the firstborn son of Jacob. You should have said, no, we're not doing this. But what he does instead of putting a stop to it, was he kind of, he tries to talk him out of it. He's a compromiser. Compromiser will never bring you results. You compromise with evil and not put a stop to it, it doesn't bring results. You look at the policies of our government right now, not all of them, but the chief heads of government, thinking that you can talk to people, you can placate people by just talking about peace and not taking a stand and say, stop it now. You don't get results by compromising and trying to talk peace. Somebody doesn't want peace, you've got to take action. Reuben compromised. He said, let's don't kill him, but he didn't stop him from killing or desiring to kill him. Compromise. You hearing me? I know you're getting tired. But just because we sit down and we talk to people and we try to, you know, placate the situation and at some point, you have to take action. Because just talking is not going to get it done. Go ahead and try talking at first. But just talking about peace doesn't bring peace. Reuben should have said, absolutely not. Verse 22, Reuben said unto him, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit. Well, that's good, Reuben. Don't kill him, but throw him in the pit. Not a very good brother. Cast him in this pit that's in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Good plan, good objective, but not successful. Not going far enough, taking the necessary steps. Good objective, good plan, so that you can deliver him back to, the, to your father. Good objective, good plan, but compromise won't accomplish it. Verse 23 came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of the coat, his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. They took him and cast him into the pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. But when you study the wording in the Hebrew, it lets you know that it was full of serpents. It was full of scorpions. 
They stripped him of that outward symbol of his mantle, but he still had that spiritual mantle. And when he went to that pit, he was protected because of that spiritual mantle. Surrounded by serpents. Surrounded by scorpions. And look at, look at this. Look at this. Look at the response of the brothers. They've stripped their brother of his, of his mantle. They've thrown him in a pit with snakes and scorpions. And they are so callous. They have no conscience. They, they see him suffering in this pit. They see him in trouble in this pit. But they have the ability to act as nothing has happened. And they sit down and eat a meal with their brother in the pit. God help you if you don't have a conscience. If you can do something like that and it not bother you at all, I told you they were evil. And they sit down to eat bread, lifted up their eyes, and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites from Gilead with their, with their camels bearing spicery, bomb myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brethren, What profit is if they if we slay our brother and, and conceal his blood? So Judah pipes in. Well, they just sell him. Verse 27. So they sold him to the Ishmaelites. Verse 28. Amen. Excuse me. Verse 27. Come, let us sell them to the Ishmaelites. Let us, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. From Joseph's perspective, why is this happening? There's no reason for this to happen. But there is. God was in it. If Joseph is not treated this way, if Joseph is not taken to Egypt, you would not have the rest of your Bible. If Joseph is not taken to Egypt, there would be no nation of Israel. If Joseph is not taken to Egypt, there will be no Jesus. When you start going through things and you're looking at it and you know you've got a call in your life and you've been mantled by God and you've done everything you're supposed to do and you look at it and you're being mistreated and things are happening in your life and you, don't, you can't make sense of it, there's a reason for it. You think it's just an accident. It's not. God is sovereignly behind the scenes working by His providence. It was no accident. What they did, they meant for evil, but God meant it for good. Reuben returned. Now, by the way, the word pit here is the same word that's used for the word Hades or, or the pit of hell.
Verse 29, Reuben returned unto the pit. Behold, Joseph was not in the pit. He rent his clothes. See, his conversation, his compromise did not create results. Joseph's gone. Are you with me? And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not there. Well, he, he tears his clothes when he finds Joseph's not there. You know what he's doing? He's trying to play proxy. See, he didn't succeed in compromising. It didn't succeed. He was not able to return Joseph back to his father. And so he tears his clothes in proxy. You know? You understand what I'm saying? See, when you, when you know you made a mistake and it affects other people, and you start trying to bring on yourself what you caused on somebody else's life. So he tears his clothes. That's not going to get you anywhere, Ruby. Verse 31, They took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. What did Jacob do many years ago? He deceived his daddy by killing goats. All these years, it's coming back. Those chickens are coming home to roost. <laughs> what he did years ago, now it's going to come back on him. He used goats to deceive his daddy. Now he's going to be deceived by the blood of a goat. But please don't think that that's all there is to this story because this whole story is about Jesus. This whole story is about how Jesus was treated when He came. This whole story is about Jesus. He is the scapegoat. So they took it. Killed that goat, dipped the coat in blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Now know whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It's my son's coat. An evil beast have devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Okay? Jacob, what are you doing? You have a mantle that's not tore. You have a mantle that's not ripped. But yet you believe what is told you that your son has been ripped to pieces by a wild beast. There's blood on that mantle. But it's not tore. You should have examined it further, Jacob, to see whether or not it's true. You have proof that he wasn't rent by beast because his garment is intact. Because Jacob did not examine and check it out, 
I will say this to you. It brought great harm to his life. His heart was broken. If you don't examine things when they come to you, if I don't examine things when they come to me, when I just accept them at face value, do you realize there's some things in your life if you don't check it out, you, would, you can lose your faith over it? No wonder, first, I believe it's 1 John, fourth chapter, I believe it is, try the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. When you have something come to you, examine it to see if it's real or not. If you don't take time to test it, to prove it, to examine it, it could cause you to lose your faith. You know what you had to do? is just take a few steps to see whether or not it was true. That's what Jacob should have done. He should have put two and two together. How can my son be torn to pieces when his garment's not torn to pieces? He didn't examine it. You understand that? There's absolutely nothing wrong with me examining prophecy. A prophetic word that comes to me. You're foolish not to examine it. Somebody says something to you. You don't. Do you remember, brothers and sisters, in the Lord this morning? Do you remember these church members are lying? Do you not realize that church people will lie to you? They will. They'll look you in the face and lie to you. You don't take the time to examine to see whether or not those things are true. You say, well, I just, I'm trusting, trusting, I'm trusting you. And I gotta go there, brother. Hey, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. You know, he said, if you gotta go, you can go. You don't, I don't have you locked down. The doors, brother Mark, you can unlock the front door. You need to go. I'm not dumb, but you can go. But, one night after church, brother, Sunday night we were going home and we saw this wreck on the side of the road going down Business 80, a wreck on the side of the road. So we pulled over and my son-in-law and my daughter, they also pulled over and we pulled over and we walked across and there was several Hispanic men, you know, there and they had their cars, the bumper on the back of the things broke off and it's hanging down and, you know, they, the thing was full of beer. I mean, it's just packed full of beer. So, you, you can imagine the condition they were in. And I walked up to this one guy, and he was sitting on the ground, and I know there had to be stickers on the ground. Sitting on the ground, you know, and he's drunk, and his friend's drunk, and he was, it was obvious he was in a lot of pain. And so he's sitting there, and he's moaning, and he's groaning, he's in pain. His friend looks at him and says, Get control of yourself. You know what I'm saying? What are you, you got a drunk man telling another drunk man, get control, get control of yourself. You know? And then basically he started trying to console him and he says, this one drunk Hispanic telling his friend on the ground in great pain, get control of yourself. And he says, you can trust me. 
<laughs> you can trust. I mean, the guy could probably be bleeding internally. But his, his drunk buddy said, you can trust me. <laughs> Man, uh, cops said, we wait and the cops didn't show up, you know. And I don't know. I, don't, I went and checked another car out. And before I knew it, went back to check on these fellas. They had loaded that dude back up, that vehicle back up, and they were hauling down the road, man, <laughs> with the bumper hanging on the ground. You can thrust me. <laughs> what are you, a doctor or what, man, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, that's the way we are sometimes, right? We just take everything at face value. No. Examine it. Try the Spirit to see, the, see whether or not they're of God. It's okay. You're, you're not being in unbelief. You just want to make sure it's too dangerous. I don't want to die. Amen? You know, if I walk up to Brother Caesar, I say, Brother Caesar, I want you to go over there and I want you to, uh, to preach to ISIS. I believe God's telling me this, for you to go to preach to ISIS. Before you catch the plane, I think you probably really, you know. <laughs> Amen. Now, you, you look at me and just say, no, you go preach to ISIS. I'm staying here. <laughs> Praise God. That's really from God. You go. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to try the spirits to see whether or not they're of God it's alright it's not unbelief just protecting yourself you know amen because I hate to tell you this in case you don't know it church people will lie to you amen I remember the first time I was lied to and found out I was lied to. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it, man. When we first started the church over there on Brazos, I had this man. He was in the church. He looked me in the eyeballs and told me a lie. And I, you know, so. Later on, I found out he lied to me. I just, I couldn't believe it, honestly, that a, that a saint in the church would lie to you. I'm just telling you right now. Church people will lie to you. All I'm saying to you is examine it. Check it out. Praise the Lord. Okay, so Caesar, if you're really supposed to go preach to ISIS, then it's not just going to be one man that tells you that. You know, you're going to find out. It'll be confirmed. <laughs> Brother Caesar says, Pastor, that's not a word for me. That's a word for my wife. Here I am. Send her. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Just check it out. All right? 
And even when you when I'm preaching to you, don't take it from from just because I said it to you, just because I told it to you. Don't do that. Be like a Berean. See if it's in the Bible. Examine it. If it don't line up with the Bible, I'm the liar. Or I'm misinformed. This is the authority right here. It's the authority that supersedes all men, all words of men. Amen. If it doesn't line up with this book, it's not true. Or it's misinformed. Okay? So when I get through preaching, go home, read the Scripture I just preached to. Take some time with it to see if it's in the Bible. Jacob could have lost his faith because he didn't examine. And just say, hey, look, it can't be the truth. How many of y'all are shocked that your kids would lie to you? No, you're not? Man, you're ahead of me. If you're a truthful person, it's just hard to believe that anybody else is not truthful, right? I guess. Then look you point blank in the eyes, man. Uh, examine it. Check it out. See if they're, they're telling you the truth or not. See if those church people are telling you the truth or not. See if your kids are telling you the truth or not. Man, I mean, sometimes you got to keep fighting and fighting and fighting until the truth finally comes out. Man, I've been in situations, man, I've had in my, in my office. I thought that was enough. They're in my office. It's, you know, it's got the ring of authority. I'm sitting in the big chair. And they're sitting in the little chairs. And I mean, right now, we're fixing it. This is fixing to be done, right? No. You'd be surprised how much detective work i got to do. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. Man, I had a situation not long ago. I was being lied to. I started doing detective work. Hallelujah. And there were some people that were helping me do detective work. <laughs> and they were sending me texts and everything else, you know, in this detective work. And so when I sat down with this person that was lying to me, they didn't, they didn't have nowhere to go. They had to tell the truth. I said, now be sure about what you're telling me because I got it on text right here. What really happened. If God don't come and tell you directly that you're going to have to do some detective work. Examine it so you don't lose your faith. Don't just go hope for the best. It's a bomb in the box. Sounds like a bomb. Looks like a bomb. Ticks like a bomb. Five seconds to go. Okay, say amen. So when you start, when people tell you things or whatever, certain things happen, you have a responsibility to find out the truth. 
You understand? Amen. Do some detective work. Try the spirits. Examine it. Hallelujah. Verse 34, Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up and comforted him. Isn't that sad? That they're the ones that lied to him? They're the ones that hated their brother? They're the ones that sold their brother into captivity? And yet, in their lie, they're covering up their lie by trying to show that they are comforting the man. You see what they're doing? They're covering up their lie with a false comfort. Hear me. Man, you got God, you have discernment, but you still need to examine it. Because people will come, man, and they'll join you with your tears. And... <laughs> They're lying to you the whole time. The tears are flowing down their face. It's a cover-up for their lie, brother. That's all it is. You know what it is? Just look at them and say, you drop your tears right now. They're not real. They're not real. You don't care anything about Joseph. You don't care anything about your brother. You're just trying to cover up your own lies. Dry your tears. But because he didn't examine it, he let himself be deceived. Man, there's one thing, church, that concerns me probably more than anything is that I would be deceived. Do you understand what I'm saying? lied to and then people try to appear as one thing when they're really not they got hidden motives covering up lies and agendas that's the one thing I fear is being deceived God give me discernment give me the discerning of spirits if you're going to pray for a gift of the spirit pray for the gift of discernment Because deception is running rampant. And it comes in all forms. These are his kids. These are Jacob's kids. His sons. Boo-hooing. False comfort to cover their life. In verse 35, so and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. He said, I'm, I'm going to die. I'll never see him again. Really, he lost his faith because he didn't examine. And the Midianites sold him to Egypt into Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. And Joseph's just going to keep on going and he's going to keep on being the best son, the godly son, the godly man in the midst of all of that. 
Amen. Appreciate your time. I know it's been long. Let's stand. Father God, we come before you right now. We thank you for the Word of God today. Thank you for implanting it in our heart, into our spirit, very vital truths that will keep us and protect us in this journey. Lord, I, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for these people. Thank you for this assembly. And I pray, Father God, this word that has been planted in the hearts of your people will help them to be successful in their spiritual life. It would help them, God, to mature in their cause. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you for being here. Appreciate you so much.